listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please take your Bibles again. Let's turn together to Ezra chapter 4. Go and read the first five verses and then the last two of this chapter. Again, we're continuing to look at this section of God's Word. The people under Zerubbabel are returning to the land to rebuild the temple under the command of Cyrus. And Ezra chapter 4 verse 1 begins, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity build the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Israel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assur, which brought us up hither. But Israel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto your God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah, and troubled them in building, and had counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even till the reign of Darius king of Persia. And then over in verse 23, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum and uh, Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So ceased it under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Amen. This is God's word. Uh, again, maybe a blessing to our souls tonight. The Bible never presents the path of obedience as smooth and lined with roses. Again, the Bible is very, very honest regarding the difficulties that occur when working faithfully for the Lord. Whenever the kingdom of God advances, adversaries always arise. Yes, there is a need for caution when assessing the state of church life. And again, sometimes we can look at church life and make our wrong assessment. Troubles and discouragements may arise due to sin within the church. Again, you think of the time of Achan and the battle of Ai and the sin in the camp at that time. And so troubles and disappointments can arise due to sin in the church. At other times, God can sovereignly bring troubles and trials to test and to really scrutinize the solidity of the people of God in their labors. But there are those seasons when the trouble comes due to attacks from adversaries. And it's interesting that there are really three main books in the Bible that deal with the subject of the building of the kingdom. And all three books present opposition as the work starts. You have Ezra here, chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard. You've also the book of Nehemiah, and very early on, as the walls are being rebuilt, there are adversaries that rise up against the work of God. And the third book about building, I suppose we could say, was the book of Acts. 
A story of the building of the New Testament church, the temples of God in the New Testament period. Again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are laborers together with God, year God's husband or a year God's building. And so Acts, in many ways, is a record book of the building of the early New Testament church. And in all three of these books, opposition and adversaries arise, both within and without. And we see that very clearly as a pattern in the word of God. And yet for some reason or other, the people of God in our day and generation think things should be different for them today. This is God's pattern. It is clear, both Old and New Testament, when the work of the God of heaven goes forward, adversaries arise, and we should expect the same in our own day. We should not be so naive to presume that all will be easy as we seek to fight for Christ in our generation. In this chapter we should note, doesn't have a happy ending either. It ends with the work of God ceasing, again, likely for about a period of a decade, until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The chapter doesn't even really give us solutions. Yeah, we can draw implications from the chapter, but really it just presents the facts. And in light of the facts, we should be alert and be aware, for to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so it is a sober passage. Again, the ending of the chapter is the ceasing of the word of God. And so it really behoves us to look at this chapter soberly and seek God to help us understand the contents of it. The first thing to note tonight then in this context of opposition is the source of the opposition. Given their approach in verse number two, let us build with you. The writer has helpfully called the people adversaries in verse 1. We may wonder, are Zerubbabel and Jeshua, are they being too sensitive and too, if you like, parochial in their work in verse number 3? But the writer highlights at the very beginning, adversaries arise and they are against the Lord's people. Now there is another important clue in verse number 1. They are called the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. Now, bringing these tribes together, this is the first time these tribes are brought together since chapter 1, verse 5. You look back there, remember the verse, chapter 1 and verse 5? It's a very, very important verse in the book of Ezra. And it says there, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And so what you're seeing here in chapter 4 are there are those your adversaries and they are against the very people who God is working in. God is working in these people's hearts. He's raising their hearts to go back and build. We thought of their sacrifice and the diligence of their efforts to go back and build the temple. And now adversaries are arising against this very group of people. And so the adversaries that come they are against the Lord. They are against the Lord's work. The Lord is working in people's hearts so that they build. But the adversaries are working to stop the building. And so they are not adversaries only of the people, but ultimately they are adversaries of the Lord. You see, we must remind ourselves that to attack the Lord's people is to attack the Lord. These people are adversaries 
of the Lord God of heaven. I'm going to apply this passage in the assumption that we are on the Lord's side. I'm going to take this passage with the understanding that we are those who are seeking to faithfully build the work of God. But we should be aware that we can be guilty of hindering the Lord's work. And before I apply it, giving us as being not the adversaries but the opposite, I should warn us all that we must be careful that we are not guilty of being adversaries against the Lord's work. It is good to remember that if we attack the Lord's people without cause, we are opposing the Lord who is working in their hearts. And we've got to be very, very careful. There are those who can rise up in churches and they can be opposed to ministers and elders and deacons and members. And they do so for false motives, uh, for false reasons, for false causes. And as they do so, they are attacking the Lord's work. And that doesn't mean we can never rebuke or call out sin. Uh, that, of course, would contradict other portions of the word of God. It doesn't mean that for one second. But it does mean that we should be cautious and careful when we come to do such a thing. Making sure that we have things straight. You see, these adversaries are on the wrong side. They're on the wrong side of the argument and they're seeking to hinder the work of God. Now, there is another detail regarding their identity that is, that is helpful. Verse number two, it says here, We do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asser, which brought us up hither. Now, that's one of the little markers in the Bible that a Bible student is going to latch on to. I wonder, what does this reference mean? What could it be all about? Well, to get the answer, you've got to go back to 2 Kings chapter 19. Because there's a connection here uh, between the account in 2 Kings and these words here in Ezra chapter 4. And in 2 Kings 19, in the verse 37, we have the account of the death of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Again, the warnings, Isaiah brought warnings of judgment against Sennacherib in the days of Hezekiah. And in verse 37, and it came to pass as he was worshipping in the house of uh, Nishrok, his god, that Adrimelech and Sherezes, the son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped in the land of Armenia. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. So here now we've got, we've got a timestamp. We've got these same individuals mentioned, one in Ezra, and here one in Second Kings. And what is interesting is that in that particular time, the Assyrians were repopulating people back into the lands whom they had captured. And so they were fighting with other nations and they were repopulating the lands, including the areas in Judah. And they were doing this with people from the northern tribes of Israel who were then being settled in these regions. But 2 Kings 19, or sorry, 2 Kings 17 gives us the, the climate, the spiritual climate of these resettlers. And all is not right in this company. There is a spirit of compromise afoot. There is a spirit of, uh, again, a, a declension uh, from the right ways of God. And you've got them described in verse number 33 of 2 Kings 17. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. This is a mixed company. It's a syncretistic group of people from various nations and various gods whom they served, including Jehovah, 
it's an abomination and it's a compromised form of worship. There must be only one true and living God and it is not possible to truly worship the Lord and also serve other gods. And so whilst they give lip service to their allegiance to Jehovah, this is a compromised band. And it is noteworthy that the attacks on the Lord's work comes from those closer to the thinking of the Lord's people than others. That's what you're seeing here. The attacks on the work are those who pay lip service to Jehovah, but also they still align themselves with the other gods. And so they can say in verse number two, we seek your God as ye do back in Ezra 4. But yet as we'll see uh, later on, Zerubbabel knows that all is not well. You see, we must remind ourselves of this. Outward paganism can assault and lay siege upon the work of God. But the dangerous attacks the devil brings against the work of God often come from within or just beside the Lord's true work. That's when most harm is done, the Lord's work. And you see, the devil does not come with horns and a pitchfork running down the center of the church saying, look at me, here I come, I'm the devil. We would see that. And we often can see easily the attacks on pa- of paganism. We can identify those attacks. We, we see them so clearly. They're so against the word of God. But the subtle attacks that come against the work of God are those who pay lip service to much that is true, but yet undermine the gospel in other ways. And of course, Paul tells the elders in the church in Ephesus as he, as he encourages them to take heed to the flock. He says to them, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. Satan is that angel of light. And as Paul tells the Corinthians, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Now here again, this can be difficult to discern. The true saints of God can differ and may differ on non-fundamental issues. But even Peter could embrace and expound the thinking of the devil in the presence of Christ himself. And so it is our duty to be sober and be vigilant. Again, I've said so many times that there are those who have a public face in evangelical circles that they're well known for, for their radio ministry, their podcast nowadays, their YouTube ministry, and all the rest. But in and through some of the things, they may say good things about family life. You may agree with them politically. But if they do not believe the fundamentals of Christ and the gospel, we should avoid them. And the danger comes as they infiltrate the church of Christ in these ways. And so be sober, be vigilant, and pray much for these things. That is something regarding the source of the adversaries or the opposition. And secondly, please note the subtlety of the opposition, the subtlety of the opposition. And we see again in verse number two, and again, thankfully, we know that they're adversaries. Now, we're not sure what the leaders knew, but they were quick to see the problem. Verse 2 says, let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. Again, surely this must have been a tempting offer. The numbers of returnees were were quite low, 42,000, but only 74 Levites. who had the duty to, to get them out this work of rebuilding the temple. So small a number, 
And compared to Solomon's temple when there were 20 plus thousand involved in the building of Solomon's temple. And so now we find ourselves with so much work to do. Surely tempting for the leaders to say yes. So what, what made them say no? Well again there are hints in verse number two. We saw their background. This is a group that's coming from a compromised form of religion. They, they, are not, they are not wholehearted and pure in their allegiance to Christ and to the Lord God of heaven. And so we hear their language. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Let us build with you, for we seek your God, and we do sacrifice unto him. Now already we know that their sacrifice is compromised. We just noted in chapter 3 how careful they were to reinstitute sacrifice according to God's command given through David. And here there's a, a looseness and a casualness. There's already a, a compromised spirit when it comes to public worship. But their language is, we seek your God. And significantly, they do not call your God Lord. There's no presence here of the Lord as the name of God here in verse number two. Rather, Zerubbabel so says, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto your God, but we ourselves together will build unto, look at the difference here, unto the Lord God of Israel. There's a difference here. Zerubbabel, they're on the Lord's side. This other group, they are not on the Lord's side. Now, we are not told what help they were offering, but the text is clear. They were adversaries, and thus help from adversaries, oh, they were seeking to hinder from the inside. And again, I'm cautious here about over-applying this. And again, fundamentalists can very quickly call genuine believers enemies of the gospel because they differ on lesser issues. And so it's very easy for a fundamentalist like myself to, to begin to berate others who are still faithful to the gospel, but because we differ on other issues, well, I can just berate them and become a, a hyper-isolationist. Yeah, we've got to be careful in that sort of thinking. But however, we should beware the error on the other side. Now, this all-embracing evangelicalism in large mega-conferences and, and other things, when no matter who you are, whatever you think, you're embraced into the family of evangelicals without any discernment or discretion. They hear the language, but they miss the dangers that come with them. And again, as often the case back in the mid part of the 20th century, the, the touchstone was often people's views regarding the work of Billy Graham. And again, he was involved in uh, fellowship and interaction with liberals and with Catholics. And yet was embraced in wider evangelical circles. And even now following his death, there are still those who openly espouse credit for his ministry when it was a ministry that was causing trouble and deception amongst true believers. It's just an example of how these things can creep in so very, very subtly. And obviously, ecumenism, a desire to build together, interfaith movements, all of these things, they are highlighted as being uh, significant problems in light of this passage. But the evangelical, when these things happen, they're the ones who must lower or drop their biblical principles. When they say, let us build with you, what they mean is, let us take over the work. We'll tell you what to do, and you'll do it our way, or else you're out. And the ecumenical movement that is built upon tolerance is utterly intolerant of the true gospel. So they say, let's build together. And it's a false 
offer. But whilst the ecumenical interfaith movement is very obvious, what is less obvious are those disobedient and disorderly brothers who hold significant errors. And in our then generation, there have been errors regarding justification with things like federal vision, uh, again, an understanding of uh, faith as being being faithful, but not trusting in Christ as the core and other such things are, are really errors that are seeping into uh, to Orthodox churches. And the cooperation was undermining the Lord's work. Subtlety. Now, what I have to do is ask you all to be prayerful and vigilant. To listen to sermons with discernment. To my sermons and other people's sermons. And seek to discern are there errors Are there issues that are gospel fundamentals that must not be allowed to be present in your life, in your home, or in the church of Christ? All I'm saying tonight is the devil is subtle. Let us build together. And because of that subtlety, we must be watchful and vigilant at all times. Which leads thirdly to the strategy of the opposition. The strategy is, again, significant. First and foremost, they seek to cause the leaders to compromise. They come, verse 2, to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers. And then verse 4 and 5, the people then turn to the people. Not so much the leaders, but those who are under the leader's authority seeking to do the Lord's work. And we'll get to verse 4 and 5 in a couple of moments. But please... Note the devil often strategizes his work against the leaders of the people of God. It is God's providential determination to lead his people through under shepherds of the flock of God. And we must pray urgently and earnestly for those whom God has raised to lead and oversee the work of God. If the leaders can be compromised, then great harm is done. If the leaders fall in verse number two, then verse four and five becomes less of an issue. And so pray earnestly for your leaders, nationally in the mission field, to have both discernment and determination. They must have both. That they have zeal and they have for the right things. That they can discern what is important in the work of God. And having made that discernment, they can then be determined to stand for truth and against error. Praying for these men to have discernment and determination, please. Pray for such zeal in the work of God. But you also see then, having sought to uh, compromise the leaders, there then is a, a seeking to discourage the Lord's people. Verse 4 and 5. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. Again, there's nothing to suggest that this is a different group altogether. It seems to the case that those leaders who, who approach Zerubbabel in verse number two, well, they have they've passed on their philosophies to those under their oversight. And now you have this mingling of people and the people are being discouraged by others among them. The people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. And we're not told the exact methods. Verse 5 tells us that they hired or bribed counselors or officials. And so it seems to be the case they were, they were paying money to encourage those in high places to undermine the work of God. And we'll come to that next week when you look at the letters that were written in the reign of Azuerus. And we'll see some of that next week with the Lord's help. 
But what we see here is the people are weakened. Their hands are weakened in the work. Now I wonder, did they sow suggestive thoughts? There's not enough of you. There's too much to do. You're standing for a false cause. You're a pathetic, deceived person engaged in a false ministry. Whatever it may be, you get the idea. Remember Haggai, when he comes to preach in this, mentioned verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, the Lord of hosts said to him, this people said, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built, that their hands are weakened. And let me be earnest. If your hands are weakened in the Lord's work, you are not in a good place. If you're growing weary in the Lord's work, if you're discouraged and downcast, it does not matter how you got there, it's not a good place to be. Now, you may have not got there in this very way, but it's clear in the passage, the devil using these adversaries is aiming at discouraging people that their hands are weak in the Lord's work. And if you're there, understand that's where the devil wants you to be and not where the Lord wants you to be. He wants you strong in the work, diligent in the work, vibrant in the work, earnest in the work. He doesn't want you holding back and becoming weak and lethargic and weary in the work. Oh, the devil wants you to be in your homes and simply saying, what's it all worth? There's so few of us, so much work to do. How can we ever possibly accomplish anything for the glory of Christ in such a wicked age? That's what the devil wants you to think. But we're on the Lord's side and we will serve the king. And that spirit must grip our hearts in these days. The devil and his strategy is to undermine the work of God. And it is lamentable. The last thing we see tonight is the success of this opposition. Then cease the work of the house of God. Now we'll come back and look at the details of the middle part of the chapter. But just as we close tonight, the effectiveness of the opposition is enough to make us stop and pray. To be alert and earnest. Though Christ has defeated Satan on the cross, the warfare continues. And we will fight that warfare right now in the place of prayer. We must wage war against the forces of evil in our day, those who seek to deny the gospel and seek to promote all manner of ungodly philosophies. We are on the Lord's side and we must serve the King. And may God help us to do so for the honor and glory of Christ's holy name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.